Okay, welcome back to Jay Kim's topic. Uh, today's episode is going to be a little different. I didn't really write anything for this episode, to be honest, because I've thought about this topic a lot for the last, like, I think when the first game came out, and that's、uh, Assassin's Creed. So today's topic is on Assassin's Creed. And before I go any further, obviously, don't forget to, and please follow me or subscribe on Spotify. Google Podcasts or any other streaming platform that you're on. And also, you can follow me on Instagram as well, Jason underscore Jisoo. Today's episode, like I said, will be a little different. I didn't really write anything, so there might be things that I might. There's a possibility I could go off tangent, and there's also a possibility I might just go on and rant and perhaps even lose focus. So I'll do my best to keep as concise as possible so I don't do that. I'm just letting you know as a caveat Assassin's Creed. Where do I begin? I think the first game came out in 2008, and they've been ever since just releasing a new game once, a new game a year, almost a new game a year. Some would argue a new game every two years, but realistically, it's a game a year. It's made by Ubisoft. One of the, you know, one of the major headquarters is here in Montreal, and a lot of people in the tech industry in Montreal worked or has worked in Ubisoft doing one thing or another. Their powerhouse and Assassin's Creed is sort of their main staple,、uh, if you will. It's their cash crop. It's the game that made them, I wouldn't necessarily say made them famous, but it's definitely the game that put Ubisoft to a new level, to a new level of game developers. You know, they, they become like the big boys through this game, and that's what it seems to me. You know, that's what it looks like. And And I'm always wondering, such commercial success of Assassin's Creed, why is it so popular? <laughs> like, what, what is it about the game that makes it so attractive? Why do we like it so much? I mean, I kind of owe my academic career, whatever academic career I have, I owe it to that game. It's inspired me to think outside the box when it came to my studies in religion. And I think Assassin's Creed is a perfect thing because it, it kind of feeds into all of the. Very typical things that you find among millennials, almost stereotypically, like conspiracy theory. This game is revolved entirely on conspiracy theories. Apocalypse or post apocalypse. Our generation's obsessed with that kind of stuff. Religion, the mysticism of religion, the magic of religion, or even the extremism of religion. Those are things that I wouldn't say resonate with our generation, but definitely. Occupies our mind or fascinates us because it is so different. It is so not in our vocabulary or in our everyday imagination or thinking. So in the first game, yeah, you play a character named Desmond Miles. He's just some bartender in let's say New York City. I think it's New York City. And one day he gets、uh, kidnapped and wakes up in、uh, Abstergo Industries、uh, in, in a lab that they have. That like really nice fancy lab with a nice bed, a nice bedroom, all that stuff. And he's a little confused and doesn't know what exactly happened. And then there's some like hot blonde chick who was like talking to him, saying, "Yeah, it's all good. Of course, you know, you're safe." Which of course they'll send the hot blonde chick to do that. So yeah, of course. <laughs> and basically, it turns out that he is a descendant of a very specific assassin. And Absurgo Industry, which is a pharmaceutical company, found a way to replay your genealogy. So by isolating a specific genes in your DNA belonging to a specific person, they could somehow unlock that video file and play it. You know what I mean? Like that. It's it's kind of like that. 
apparently what's true is that in all of our DNA, there are our ancestors' DNA in there. So they're kind of playing with that idea, Ubisoft. And it turns out they want to know about the life of Altair. And Altair turns out to be one of the most famous assassins in history in, in the game. And the assassins are a secret order, and their job is to assassinate corrupt politicians. When in fact, a lot of those corrupt politicians and leaders belong to another secret organization called the Templars, aka like you know Freemasons, Illuminati, you know that kind of fun stuff. So the assassins are basically uh, anonymous. <laughs> the assassins are anonymous, and and the Templars are the Freemasons. If you think of that in like conspiracy theory kind of mentality. So that's kind of what the game is happening, and you're kind of you're caught up in this war as Desmond. As it turns out, Abstergo's in Abstergo Industry, this pharmaceutical company, the reason why they're interested in his, in his DNA is because it turns out that his ancestor Altair came across an object that they called the Peace of Eden, and the Peace of Eden is created by oh man, this is gotta get okay. <laughs> it's created by a precursor civilization, so an ancient highly technologically advanced human civilization created this and the piece of eden belonging to super advanced human uh, civilization has a, a crazy amount of power and the templars who are now in fact abstergo industry abstergo industry is sort of like their front uh, they're after the piece of eden to rule the world their reasoning is that the best way for peace in the world is if if all of man is submitted into one single power or yeah essentially so there, it's kind of like coercive peace that they want whereas the assassins obviously don't want that they think they understand the world is problematic but they understand the value of freedom and that's what they're about uh, freedom over anything and whatever problems we come about we face it and you know i guess tackle it or address it as a, as as a community of humans i guess would be the best way but you know it's highly idealistic of course but you know so that's basically Assassin's Creed, is you play this guy named Desmond, and he's kidnapped by uh, a corporate, mega corporation, that they want to extract information through his DNA about his ancestors, that apparently his ancestor came across some nuclear weapon that is handheld, and that's what they're after. Now imagine you just worked a regular job, and then you woke up in issues, and you're like, uh, what in the fuck? But that's what makes the game so attractive, because... The character of Desmond Miles is, I mean, first off, his name is Desmond Miles. That's like two first names, dude. That's like, <laughs> that's so generic white name. You know what I mean? Like it's super generic, and and I think that's kind of the point is that, I mean, his personality, Desmond's personality, is not is unique, of course. Like there is some good things about him, like, but the character needs to be uh, flexible enough that the player can momentarily almost be him. You know what I mean? That you've become, you've almost identified with the character or you see yourself in that character's shoes and you almost dismiss Desmond Miles. Not in terms of storytelling, but in terms of experience. And I think that's one of the main reasons why it makes the game so inter interesting is that how about I forget who I am and just be someone else for a moment and see what that's like. For further information about those who haven't played the game, there are two storylines. There's a modern storyline that goes over, you know, Desmond Miles' character. And then there's a second storyline, which is what people play for, which is the historical storyline. In the first game, you play as Altair during the Third Crusade. The second game is the beginning of the Ezio trilogy, which is you play this Italian Renaissance man 
which imagine some beautiful young Italian man with brown hair and you know in Renaissance Florence you know that's yeah yeah <laughs> that's pretty much him that's pretty much the guy and so you play him for three games and then the fourth the third game rather uh, you play a guy who's half Mohawk and half uh, British and they've hired people from Ganawagi from outside of Montreal to be consultants in the game and so it's pretty cool everything about that game in terms of I guess his historical representation and cultural representation is pretty good as a matter of fact like uh, my friend told me that her art history teacher recommended people to play Assassin's Creed 2 just to just so people or art historians have a better idea of what Florence or Rome was like back then do you know how like you must be really seriously good at research and and and, and being considered about historical and cultural context you know I, I as someone in, I guess, on the academic side, I really appreciate that. I think that's really cool. It makes the game far more immersive, and it's far... And you want to know what it was like back then. And I think Assassin's Creed always gives you kind of a window into that. It's like, this is how it was. You know, the latest game was Odyssey, and you never, ever got to see what ancient Greece may have looked like during the Peloponnesian Wars. You know, that's, again, that's really cool. And that's why people love Assassin's Creed is for that historical timeline is that for is for that historical storyline yeah you can climb buildings and do crazy shit and kill like a thousand people but i mean that yeah, that's fine uh, although sometimes the game mechanics are the same and repeated and boring at times same shit better graphics that's kind of been the issue with assassin's creed for a long time however despite all that my favorite assassin's creed games are definitely black flag on top i've replayed that game so many times i don't know there's something about that game i really love i love it's unique you you how you you're a fucking pirate like you know how dope that is you're a pirate you have a ship you can build your crew you can you know attack bigger ships than you you know it's fun it's pirates of caribbean it's fun stuff my second favorite one is definitely got to be origins that's when i feel like they've completely revamped the game they took the game more seriously they took time with it and they added this thing and for those who just like history and not necessarily want to play the game they have this interactive museum for origins if you just google it I, you can find it easily and i think it's free i think it's free you could get it on your computer or on or on your console but you just like walk through ancient egypt and it's kind of guided so there's like a light that takes you from let's say the pyramids to the sphinx and whatever and as you get there there's going to be writing and describing everything and you see it how it looks at that time it's fantastic it's really cool and my third favorite if i had to pick all the top threes, uh, just the top three. I definitely would have to put Assassin's Creed 2. Controversial among the Assassin's Creed fans. They would always put two as the best or the second best. So let's apply religion to video games. So why this game? Why this game has, you know, caused me to be interested in the intersection of religion and video games or religion and pop culture in general. I think it's mainly because of how historically accurate the game comes off. When it's not historically uh, accurate, the game is self-aware. The game knows what it's doing. I'm not saying that you know people at Ubisoft are geniuses, but these are people who are, when it comes to the content of historical accuracy and all those things, they've been as good as they could be. I remember in the first game, they even put the statement, which today some people would see it as, woke pc kind of stuff but like i remember at the time seeing it i'm like oh this is a really good disclaimer because you're self-aware that some historical inaccuracies are there and you know that it's there and you've perhaps done it on purpose 
for the sake of the game or for the sake of creative storytelling, you know. Because the truth of the matter is, when you really see how history goes down, it's pretty boring for the most part. And that's why when you go to movies, it's all over the top and excited because they need to juice it up. You know, it's like Braveheart is a famous example of the most entertaining, historically inaccurate film of all time. It's, it's, I've been to Scotland and Scottish people have told me they fucking love and hate that film at the same time. They love it because it's incredibly entertaining. They hate it because it's historically inaccurate and not sometimes... Mel Gibson's accent is not the best. Why am I on Braveheart? Okay, so <laughs> I think I want to see an Assassin's Creed game in Scotland or something. But anyway, let's go back to the first game. If we're going to talk about religion, I think the first game does it really, really well because the game is clearly influenced by an actual historical thing that ha that's happened. If you look at the history of the Crusades, specifically the third one, if you look in the region and all the different players, let's say, or different actors, that were active at the time, you notice in northern Syria, there is a place called Masiaf or Masayaf. And in that place, it's like a fortress in the mountains. So no, any standing army will have a really tough time trying to attack it because everything's super narrow. It's not easy to navigate. It's, it's, you need like a special forces unit to take that over, you know? And, but the only people, the only army that's been able to take it over was the Mongols, because, you know, that's what they fucking do. Like, Mongols are like a cheat code. So the game takes cue of this actual, uh, like, a Shia minority group in northern Syria. This, like, these people actually existed. What's known of them is very little, because most of the historical evidence that we do have of these assassins, or what they refer to in Arabic as a Hashashin, which is many translations, but the most common one is those who smoke hash or those who smoke weed because if you think about it how else will you assassinate a top leader if you are stressed out you need a bit of weed to help you balance that you know it only makes sense because you're the stakes are high of, of what you're about to do you need to, you know you need to relax <laughs> so, yeah, so the game starts in the third crusade where it is the second most successful on the christian side but what makes this third crusade one of the more interesting ones out of all the other crusades because you see the prominence of the knights templar which is a Christian organization that exists as well. They're the bad guys in the video game, but in real life, they were these Christian knights that were there to reestablish Christendom in Jerusalem and kick out the Muslims and, you know, all that, all that jazz. And they were very good. Uh, that's the one thing. They were very good. They had several castles throughout Europe and the Middle East. They had a lot of forts. They had a lot of money. And the Knights Templar eventually went out because they were pretty much all killed off because they had too much money and all the kings in Europe and, and the Pope was low-key sketched out by how much money they had, so they got rid of them. You know, that's, you know, it's Game of Thrones. So imagine yourself, you're learning about this history, about the Third Crusade, about a very minor thing that happens in the Third Crusade. There's a minor detail about assassins living in northern, in the mountains of northern Syria. But put yourself in the position where your creative writer, let's say, and you had this imagination thinking, what was it like to be an assassin of that time? Because it really takes one minor detail to get someone going and create a story. And what's kind what's not kind of, what is great, well, relatively speaking, great about the assassins is that they did exist, and I think they were Ismaili, which is a, a branch within Shia Islam, which Shia Islam has many different branches. Sometimes creative writing and historical accuracies don't go well together. And that's why you get movies like Braveheart. Great film to watch, but not historically accurate. But still, it's still remembered fondly for that reason. But 
what kind of helps the I guess the people at Ubisoft is there's very little evidence about these assassins. What I mean by that is we know they existed. They definitely existed. Other outside groups wrote about them. I think the no, the Romans didn't write about them. The other Muslim groups wrote about them. Christians wrote about them. Jewish communities wrote about them. The Mong- Mongols made mention of them in their documents as well. I mean, you know, like the these people, everyone knew about them. They knew they existed. But we have very little archaeological or anthropological evidence coming from their community. So we don't have anything written by them. You know, my, my master's essay, I'm going to keep referring back to it because I'm still working on it. I'm in the process of getting it published with my supervisor in an academic journal. And this is, you know, my, my thing is on apocalypse and post-apocalypse in video games. And why is that a popular thing? Pop culture, the production of pop culture has to resonate with the general public. So that means is that the content that is created must reflect things that is felt by society at large. So if you look at post 9-11 America, post 2001, it is an incredibly optimistic place. Incredibly optimistic. Everyone's happy. Everyone's pro-America. And I think after things started shifting 2008 uh, a little bit, or maybe even from, no, 2006, 2008 seemed to be a negative time. But when you take that into consideration, it's always reflecting in pop culture. If you look at pop music in the early 2000s, it's all super optimistic and happy and like bubbly almost. And when you get closer to 2010, it got more darker and serious and you know a little different and a little more realistic. And you see that reflect on pop culture because that's how people feel and people want to buy and interact with things with how with. I guess validates how they feel or that resonates with them, obviously, right? Or even the inverse could happen. Let's say you might live in a shit society, you just want to be happy, so you gravitate towards happier things. You know, same thing. It doesn't change the fact that it is reflecting how you feel. And if you start, if you start digging deeper into these things, you will see it. And I think Assassin's Creed does that when it comes to its understanding or its the game's philosophy or pres- representation of religion. If anything, it's if I could call it anything, which, you know, it's not really anything else but, you know, a good story. But if I were to label it, label it, I guess it would kind of be an agnostic's view of religion. Kind of. Or even an atheist view, but an atheist view who doesn't mind entertaining the magic because it's fun. So Ubisoft's treatment of religion is careful. I think careful might be a good word. It's not trying to offend anyone, nor is it trying to make a statement about anything explicitly. It's, you know, when you're playing this game, you are entertaining their uh, historical fiction. You are, that w- that includes religion. If you are going to do historical fiction, you are also allowed to, you know, do some historical fiction on religion. You know, in Assassin's Creed 2, Rodrigo Borgia, who later becomes the Pope, I forget his Pope name. But he later becomes a pope, and that was highly controversial because he is, in fact, Spanish and not Italian at the time. So that was like, <gasps> how dare he? But, you know, he and also they weren't from Italy. They were, a, the Borgias were originally from Valencia that moved to Rome and kind of established themselves there. And they, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say snake their way to, through power, but they've established themselves and played the the high elite games of society, I guess. And the ultimate power move of having one of the Borgias become Pope. You know, that's incredibly... Wow. That's a little history. That's a little Pope history for you. And in the, in the game, 
he's a bad guy. <laughs> I'll have to say he's a bad guy. The foreigner is the bad guy. <laughs> and I think that's funny. <laughs> but, you know, you accept that fact. And some people actually, depending on historians, uh, some people would say that the Borgias weren't necessarily the best popes. They were corrupt. That's That was an old fact. They were corrupt. Rodrigo Borgia as pope was having a lot of sex with you know, with a lot of different women. And that was common among popes and priests at the time. But how is this related to Assassin's Creed? <laughs> it's kind of what I just did. I just assumed uh, how a cleric is, like a celibate cleric is having sex with women or men. And I'm assuming the rationale. That's kind of what this game is about, is that it's it's fiction. You keep inventing stuff and seeing things that are within the realm of you know, alternate history, and that's what people want to see. And in this alternate history, there's a little more magic, and there's a little more ancient stuff. Uh, earlier, I mentioned there's a precursor race. To explain those people briefly, I forget what they're called in the game. We'll call them gods. So every single religion in the game, all the characters, every all the characters and gods within those games are actually these precursor humans, these highly advanced, highly technologically advanced humans of ancient time. And those humans actually created us humans for the purpose of labor and slavery so we were once slaves and this huge war broke out between the slaves and the advanced humans eventually ended up in stalemate but the advanced humans a lot of them died uh, due to natural disasters along with what the war did to them as well all these things and then there was an apocalyptic event that happened where it was a solar flare that destroyed most of the planet and at that point, peace was brokered between these ancient humans and us, today humans. Let's call us Homo sapiens, let's say. Between Homo sapiens and uh, ancient advanced humans. As time goes on, these ancient advanced humans started slowly, slowly dying. But they were able to preserve their consciousness in these temples that they built throughout the world. They put their consciousness in a computer, essentially. And through time, we forget about their existence. And like every oral tradition you create stories. The best way to effectively remember what happened is through storytelling. And sometimes you embellish and change as aspects of storytelling because it makes it, it makes it easier to remember, but also interesting. Stories are made not to be accurate. Not, I mean, not to be historically accurate or factually accurate, but it's stories are built to tell stories, to tell the messages. What was the moral of the story? What was the message of that story? Don't do this, don't do that, or do this, do that. Interesting how I say don't do this first. That shows a lot about my Christian heritage, my Christian background. But yeah, that in the game, these uh, these advanced humans are remembered as gods. And these advanced humans gave them names like Zeus or Minerva or Thor. I was about to say Thanos, but I don't think that's a real god. <laughs> so Thor, you know, and, and the, this is how those advanced humans were remembered as these gods. You know, now they just accept as gods. And then if you look at modern religions well what we call them post-axial religions being hinduism buddhism judaism christianity and islam the you know the big religions if you will the prophets of those religions are just humans that had the peace of eden in the game that's how they explain it like they had a piece of eden and that piece of eden has given them great knowledge and stuff and great influence and, and and some of these prophets are also like what they call sages, which is another thing in the game. I don't want to get into that. Uh, if you're into the game, if you're interested bit about the game, play it or watch a playthrough on YouTube. But all to say, I, I just spat out all this crazy, random, seemingly random details. But 
the way I'm seeing it is that this is how they're mapping out religion before me. That's how I see pop culture is. What is the producer mapping out before me? What, are, what, are, what is their message? How are they seeing it? Is this how people... Do people see it the same way or a similar way? And in terms of numbers and sales, that would suggest yes. A lot of people perhaps see it the same way. The only way, only way to get concrete evidence is if I go out there and do a questionnaire with like, I don't know how many, I don't know how big a sample size I would need to do that, but that's a lot of work. <laughs> so going back to what I said earlier, how does this reflect society's view of religion? As I said before, it was, I would call it a, an agnostic or open-minded atheist view of religion. That all religions are exoticized, that there almost all these religions are presented in the game as these very ancient traditions that are rooted to something somewhat bigger than us that in the game it's all about conspiracy and then somehow all these game all these religions are involved with that conspiracy and that's what i'm in, why i kept playing the games is like okay like how are they all involved so the way all these religions are involved is through this precursor ancient advanced human civilization that they once called gods and whatever and that's how all these religions are put together. And that really falls in line with Carl Jung's idea of the collective unconscious. Or is it collective subconscious? I'm, I think, I'm pretty sure it's a collective unconscious. I'll leave it as that. Where Carl Jung, this you know German philosopher or one, a theorist, he believes that all of humanity, we're all, we're all connected the same way spiritually. That we all tap into this collective spiritual realm that we all have and that's kind of his way of arguing or I guess theorizing that that's why we have so many different religions throughout the world yet they all kind of say the same thing or have overlapping stories but he's also saying that perhaps there is something innate in humans that we all gravitate towards spirituality religion maybe that's just something that is natural among humans I could be misremembering his philosophy but I'm pretty sure that's what he was saying and and that game kind of taps into that, saying that all religions are essentially the same, but because we are all tapping into an ancient past that we're unaware of, that's why it's unconscious. It's collective because we all have it. It's in our DNA, literally. All of our ancestors' DNA is within us as well. You know, that being said, but we don't know what their lives were like. We, we can't tap into just like an animus machine where you could just strap in and see it through their eyes what they did. You know, we, we can't have, we don't have that. We don't have that technology. And the game is asking, what if we did? What would that look like? And this is, well, if you want to talk about historical accuracy, it would probably be far more mundane. We'd see them, you know, we'd see them go to the bathroom every day. We'd see them do the most boring things every day. We'd see them go to work every day. It'd, it'd probably be difficult to watch, not because of the boringness, but because of the living standards must have been way different. It, it was way different back then and probably difficult to really see, say, like, Wow, that person who kind of looks like me went through that. Jeez, I'm lucky, you know. And fun fact, animus in Latin means uh, to activate or or to have agency or to be alive or to be sentient. That's what animus means in, in Latin. So it's interesting that they call the machine that can replay your ancestor's video file the animus machine because that's literally what it's doing. Animus means that as well, to you know, to do it, to come alive, to activate. But I think... You know, the more time I spend thinking about their representation of religion, I think it, Ubisoft is low-key trying to figure out, or perhaps even asking, what is the root of all religion? 
you know, that great philosophical question that Carl Jung was asking, Freud was asking, uh, Foucault, Michel Foucault was asking, all these other people. But yeah, but that's that's kind of the vibe I get is that their answer to religion is a human's way of processing something that is greater than them. Not necessarily magical. In this game, what the way they're talking about it is this civilization is so advanced that these guys must be gods. Like the, the everything we're hearing, you know, that must be gods. Yeah. So the game is suggesting that all the religions that were created uh, by man was in fact their interpretation of how advanced the precursor race was. That the ancient humans, the ancient advanced humans, that was their interpretation of how advanced they were. They were so advanced, so great that they were gods. And I, th that's kind of a game, or even Ubisoft's way of low-key saying that's kind of how we see religion, perhaps, that maybe there was an ancient civilization out there. But really, who knows? I mean, trying to figure out... Who you know what religion is or why it is it's a uh, it's an age-old question that even a department of religion religion in this game becomes coded story that we need to uncode and somehow by uncoding those stories you really see the truth and i think that's kind of what the game is some of the at least not, not with all the games but i feel like that's the general vibe i always get with this game is that it kind of encourages that conspiracy mentality in a good way i feel because conspiracy mentality always questions everything which is great always question everything and the game takes a questioning and makes it interactive you know and that's that's why we love assassin's creed because you know it, it's it's a historical trip literally it's a historical trip and that's the main reason why we want to play we want to see what it was like to be an italian man in renaissance italy or an indigenous man during the american revolution you know these are things that historians and scholars ask themselves always wonder all the time which is the biggest shortcoming of academia is it's hard to be empathetic because empathy will shroud your research and yet it is empathy that could really kind of get us there to understanding what motivates these people and to truly understand that emotionally. The immersiveness and interactiveness of the game is it's, what if you get to kind of follow Frodo as you go from the Shire to Mount Doom? You know, that's, that's video games. You, you know, you, what if instead of watching Frodo go from point A to point B, why don't you be him for a moment? And for God's sakes, don't be Frodo if there's like a Lord of Rings game. Don't be Frodo. That's a lame choice. What's the matter with you? He's not even the hero of the story. Don't be Frodo. I like love hate Frodo. But anyway, I see off tangent. But all this to say is, as I said earlier, this was unscripted. I was just going to talk out loud and tell you how I feel about Assassin's Creed. A lot of you have never played it, but to those who've played it, I assume you know the game and I assume you understand how I feel. If you don't, that's fine. You know, we all have different opinions. I had to do an episode of Assassin's Creed, not because it is the greatest game that's ever existed, but it is the game that has pushed the way I view religion in a weird way. It did change the way I perceive religion and it got me far more interested to study religion from a social scientific point of view. So I really owe a lot of my academic career to this this video game series it's, it's a weird thing to say but i really do so i hope you enjoyed today's episode a little different but this is my truest this is the truest me this is i'm very very honest of how i feel about the game or even my opinions or how i see things you know 
it might be very out there and weird, but this is who I am, you know. So once again, thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to follow and subscribe me on Spotify, Anchor, or any podcast streaming apps. You could also follow me on Instagram at Jason underscore Jisoo. So once again, thank you for listening to the second episode of season two of J. Kim's Topic. I'm Jason Kim, or J. Kim from now on, I guess. From Montreal, thank you.